Well, today, uh, we just finished our, our series on the book of Lamentations, um, and I noticed tissues that were placed throughout uh, the, the sanctuary, uh, but I was really blessed by that series, um, and so today, my job is to, to pick us up, I'm talking about love, all right? No, no, that was, that was a great series, and I, I really was blessed by it. But yeah, today, today is about love, and specifically, um, it, it's not going to be primarily about God's love for us, although that will be mentioned. It's not going to be primarily about our love for one another, though that will be mentioned. Um, today, we're going to talk about our love for Jesus, uh, what that means, how we can cultivate it. Um, and the reason I take uh, this approach today, we're going to be in John chapter 21, uh, verses 15 through 14. Uh, 15, that doesn't make sense, 15 through 19. Um, and the reason I, I, I take this approach today uh, is just because, for me personally, the past couple of months, um, I haven't been doing the things I normally do. Um, I, I, I'm not quite sure what it is, but spiritual disciplines, prayer, being in the Word, um, even in times of fellowship, not being as intentional as I think I should. And normally I'm bothered by it, but, um, and it's not that I'm not bothered by it, but there's some contentment I found in just kind of going through the motions uh, in, in this season. Um, so, so as we went through the, the, the series of the book of Philemon, if you remember that, this text was actually mentioned a couple of times. And then obviously Pastor James went through First and Second Peter um, not long ago, and this text was mentioned then as well. So it was on my mind. So I thought, okay, talking about love, um, read this text, and after I read it, that gripping question that Jesus asks Peter, do you love me, uh, isn't just gripping for him, but I think it's so direct, it speaks to us very easily. Um, so, and, and, and as I started reading it, and I was deciding just this past Monday, I was like, okay, I, I, I like John 21, you know, Lord God, what do, you, what do you want me to preach on? I was looking at some other texts, but then that night, Monday night, um, I couldn't sleep, and part of it was my, uh, my child, Leah, uh, was, was sick, and I was kind of becoming sick, but after she had gone down to sleep, I still couldn't sleep, and this question just kept repeating in my mind, do you love me? And I think similarly, maybe to, to Peter's conversation, I, I continued, you know, I, it wasn't the audible voice of God, but it was his written word that I had read. It was, do you love me? And I was talking to myself, and I was like, well, you know, yeah, I work full time at a, at a church. You know, I, I'm, there are certain things I'm not great at, but I'm doing my best, right? And, and, and then the question comes again, as it does in our text, do you love me? It's like, well, you know, I, I do some other things, you know, around, around soul. You know, I don't have to do them, but I, I do them. Yeah, I love you. And then the question comes again, just like it comes in our text, do you love me? And if you could just keep asking yourself that question, eventually, at least for me, Monday night, I came to the conclusion, I love you, but maybe not enough. And, and so that, that's sort of the heart behind why, this is, this is uh, for me, <laughs> um, I, hope, I hope it's helpful, uh, but it was helpful especially for me just this past week. Um, so let's pray, and then we'll get into the text together. Jesus, we love you. May our love for you continue to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jesus looked right into the eyes of the Pharisees. I mean, these are the religious leaders, you know, the guys that 
They're Old Testament saturated. They are the most God-oriented people of the day. And he said to them, you don't know God because you don't love me. And, and again, this is mind-boggling, right? These, these are the most wise, spiritually speaking, people of the day. And Jesus was saying, you don't know God because you don't love me. So, so, so what's the litmus paper? What's the standard for knowing whether someone knows God or is in relationship with God? It's whether or not they love Jesus. So, so I hope we're able to ask this question of ourselves and evaluate our own lives do we love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? And where does that love come from? If that's something we need to do in the Christian life, if, if we need to love Jesus, how do we get there? How do we cultivate that? And I want us to think about uh, Luke chapter 7. Uh, the Pharisee is, is, is approaching Jesus, and um, he's talking about the, the, the woman who washes Jesus' feet. But if you remember the story, the Pharisee didn't wash Jesus' feet. He didn't kiss Jesus. He didn't do anything to show affection for Jesus. And suddenly there's this woman, a woman of the street, leaning over Jesus' bare feet, weeping. And the tears are falling on his dirty feet, and she's taking her hair and washing Jesus' feet. It's, it's an interesting scene. And the Pharisees, I mean, they're bent out of shape. Like, whoa, if you were a prophet, you would know what kind of woman this was. You, you would know who she is. You, know, you would know what she does. And Jesus begins to tell a story, the story of two debtors. One owed the debtor 5,000 bucks. One owed him five bucks. And the person forgave them both. And Jesus asked the question, who would love him more? And the Pharisee says, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus says, you have judged rightly. He says, when I came in here, you didn't kiss me, you didn't wash my feet, but from the time I came in, she's wept over my feet, washed them with her tears, wiped them with her hair because she's been forgiven much. So where does love come from? Where does our love for Jesus come from? How do we cultivate it? It comes from being stunned by being loved by God. This love comes from being overwhelmed by the person of Jesus dying on our behalf and rising again, though we have no merit at all in ourselves. And when that truth grips you, then we taste what it is to treasure Jesus, to delight in him, to be satisfied in him. So if your love is lacking for Jesus today, uh, maybe what we need to do is to take time to be stunned, to be amazed, to be in awe of the all-satisfying, all-sufficient truth that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ came to this earth in humility, lived a perfect life, died for you, a sinner. Romans chapter five, verse eight, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And surely we gather together to remind one another of those truths. And, but how often do we remind ourselves of that truth? That truth that God loves us, that truth that God has died for us, that Jesus has died for us. We need to often have our love of Jesus fueled by his love for us. We're going to be reading John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. First John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. 
In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So this is where it starts. It starts with his love. It starts by regularly looking, regularly looking at Jesus, what he's done for us, and allowing that to fuel our love for him. Or in short, our love for him comes from his great love for us. So the goal of the Christian life, loving Jesus. How do we get there? Well, we, we look at Jesus and how he loves us. So what does it even mean to love Jesus? And this is the question that we're going to look to answer today. What does it mean to love Jesus? What does it mean to love Jesus? Now, John 21, um, in, just to give you some context for the conversation that we're about to read together. In John chapter 21, um, it, the scene is the disciples are on a boat, as they like to be, and um, they are fishing, as they like to do, and Jesus is on the shore. And as they're fishing, they can't catch nothing, as they also tend to do. And Jesus is on the shore, and he says, children! And they're like, oh, who is this guy? And, they, and then he said, Jesus says, have you caught any fish? They said, well, no, we haven't caught any fish. And then G- Jesus, they don't, they don't quite know it's Jesus yet, says, well, how about you take your nets and throw it to the other side? I like to imagine that some of the disciples at this point were like, ah, I've heard this before. So they take the nets, they toss to the other side, and lo and behold, so many fish. And they pick up that net, they get it onto the ship, and then John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that John likes to call himself throughout the book of John, he looks over at Peter and he says, Peter, that's Jesus. (laughs) Good job, John, right? Yes, it is. And so Peter being excitable as he is, being confident as he is, he puts on that, the, the swimming clothes and he gets in the water, he starts swimming to the shore and they turn around that boat, they get to the shore, shore and Jesus is there, he's cooking up some fish, which I think is kind of funny because they're all, they're all fishing, he's already got some fish, but he's cooking his fish, he's got his bread, he said, hey, join me for breakfast, bring your fish that you just caught. And actually the text says, and I think it's interesting, that Peter gets on the boat, right, and he hauls the, the load of fish and it doesn't say anybody helped him, there's like 153 fish, by like, I mean the numbers in, in the text. And he takes that and he brings it over here. He's like, here, Jesus. Right? And then they start to eat together. They're eating breakfast. And that's where our text comes in today. They're sitting around a charcoal fire. And, they, and then verse 15 comes to us. So we'll be reading that together for verses 15 to 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you 
where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this to him, after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So if you remember the question we're gonna to look to answer today is what does it mean to love Jesus? What does it mean to love him? And the first thing we're gonna to see today is loving Jesus means having passion for him. Loving Jesus means having passion for him. Jesus repeated the question to Peter that he hits each and every one of us. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And John here actually uses two different words uh, for love in this conversation. Uh, the first is agape, and the second is phileo. Um, when Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? He asks him, Peter, do you agape me? And when Peter responds, he says, well, Jesus, you know I phileo you. Now, now, the word agape for love is the highest level of love. It's the highest form of love. It's a commitment love, generally used in the Bible uh, to, to describe God's love for his people and his people's love for God. This is a covenantal commitment love, agape. And then there's the phileo love, which is a love generally used within the scriptures to describe brotherly love, love among people. So, so here in this conversation, we see Jesus asking Peter, do you agape me? And Peter's response is, well, Jesus, you know I phileo you. And, and both of the first questions that are asked, this is the case. Do you agape me? Jesus, you know I phileo you. Now, admittedly, some scholars uh, believe that there shouldn't be a distinction made here um, that that John was simply flipping back and forth for reasons maybe we don't know. However, I take that there is at least some meaning behind this because of the pattern that's used, right? Jesus says, do you agape me? Uh, Peter says, Jesus, you know I phileo you. Do you agape me? You know I phileo you. And then Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo me? He changes on the third one. And then Peter responds, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. And what I think we see here is a realized humility for Peter. And we, we, know, we, know, we know who Peter is. He, he's, he's overconfident. I mean, he's the guy, you know, that said, Jesus, I'm gonna die for you. I do, I do anything for you. Jesus, you're not going to the cross, right? And then Jesus rebuked him for that. There's no way you're going to the cross. And he's the guy that took out the sword. The guy tried to take Jesus. He went for the, the guard's head probably, missed him, terrible aim, got his ear, right? This, 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 this Peter, he's, he's overconfident. He's in it, right? And now I think we're seeing Peter realizing in the midst of this conversation, maybe my love isn't where it should be. Jesus is asking me, is my love at the highest level? And maybe it's the case, he's, he's evaluating himself, and this is what Jesus wants him to do, it's what Jesus wants us to do, to evaluate our love for him. And maybe now he's realizing, maybe my love isn't committed as it should be. Maybe my love isn't, isn't as it should be. But ultimately, our love for the Lord uh, needs to include both this agape and phileo uh, kind of love. Um, it's like a husband's love for, for his wife. Um, almost four years ago, I committed myself to love uh, Minji exclusively until death parts us. She is my wife. 
That agape commitment is the basis for the phileo relationship that we have built over the years. And while our relationship is not built on feelings, but rather commitment, I do have strong feelings. If the feelings weren't there, something was probably wrong with the relationship. It's based on commitment. It consists of growing relationship, and it often involves strong feelings. So both the agape and the phileo is true of our relationship with the Lord as well. And here's a question I'd like for us to answer um, as, as, as we look to define love, at least biblical love, and that is, is love mainly doing what Jesus said, obedience? Is love obedience to the Lord? Or is it deeper and have to do with the heart and the affections? Uh, he says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, if you love mother or father more than me, you're not worthy of me. If you love son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. That means he's thinking of our love for Jesus like he thinks of your love for your children. Well, we don't love our children by doing what they say. Our children are our treasure. You would die for your children. They're precious to you. You, won't, you wouldn't sell them for billions of dollars. They're your treasure. And what he's saying here is Jesus is to be a greater treasure. He's to be of greater value to you. Uh, or often the argument is made, well, love can't be an emotion. It can't be affection because it's commanded in the Bible. You can't command the emotions. Right? And we, we often use this vernacular, right? I've fallen in love. Oops. <laughs> or, or I can't help it. It's just how I feel. Right? But, but I, don't, I don't believe this is right because, because I, well, I believe premise one is false. Of course Jesus commands the emotions. Uh, the Bible is filled with commands of the emotions. We should fear. We should be thankful. We should be compassionate. We should be earnest. We should hope, as we saw last week. All of those are emotions. Of course God has the right to command how we feel. The fact that we're so corrupt and so dead that we seem to not be able to do it, that's, that's our problem, not his. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 15, it says, if you love me, you will do my commandments. So, so many people might say, well, it's right there, right? Loving is obedience. Uh, but that's not what we see there in that text, is it? If you love, you will do a different thing called keeping my commandments. Two separate things. If there is love, then this is the result of that. So what is the nature of love? Of course, it includes obedience, but it's nothing less than being transformed by an affection for him, treasuring, admiring, delighting in, being satisfied by the most beautiful treasure of all. And really, the nature of love is Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And again, this love comes from uh, being overwhelmed by the person of Jesus dying on our behalf and rising again, though we have no merit at all in ourselves, when that grips you, then you will taste what it is to treasure Jesus, delight in Jesus, and be satisfied in Jesus. Loving Jesus means having passion for him. And it also means being willing to sacrifice everything. Willing to sacrifice everything. I was actually gonna comment before we started 
Um, you know, normally we start at the beginning and we say, welcome, good to see you. Um, for those of you online, I was going to make the comment, for those of you online that are online because you slept in to watch the U.S. play Netherlands, <laughs> this sermon is for you. <laughs> oh, and also, joke's on you. Huh? Oh, okay. Number two, loving Jesus, I'm, I'm from the U.S. Okay, let's all just... Loving Jesus means being willing to sacrifice everything. Being willing to sacrifice everything. Jesus says to Peter in verse 18, he says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. So now Jesus here, he's predicting Peter's death. And how do we know that? Well, if we use the technical process known as reading, we'll find in verse 19, it says, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. So here Jesus is predicting not only that he's going to die, but the manner of his death as well. And we're going to see that here. Uh, so what kind of death did Peter die? What kind of death did he die? The scriptures don't give us the account. However, if you look in church history, um, scholars generally agree that about 34 years after this conversation, Peter was crucified. And in fact, sources say that he wasn't just crucified, but as he went to become crucified, it was Roman crucifixion, that he wanted to be crucified upside down because he, he didn't believe he was worthy enough uh, to, be, to die like his Lord and his Savior. So Jesus here is foretelling Peter's death, may, maybe to prepare him, because, you know, Peter, this is, this is going to happen. I'm not going to be here. This is gonna be, it's going to be tough for you, right? Maybe preparing him for that. Uh, but whatever the case, he reminds Peter that in the past, when you were younger, as it says in the text, Peter had a certain amount of freedom to come and go as he pleased. And the day was coming that that would no longer be the case. When you are old, again, doesn't necessarily mean, you know, gray and old, like he's going to live a long life, but, but it does mean um, at least the 34 years after Jesus' prophecy. Uh, the means of, of Peter's death was also um, prophesied here. He says stretching out his hands could easily be interpreted as crucifixion and that uh, he would have no control of where he was going. Somebody's going to take him somewhere he doesn't want to go. And in spite of the gruesome details here, um, which I'm sure had mixed emotions for Peter as he's receiving it, it must have been some, there must have been some sort of joy in hearing that his death would glorify God, especially after everything he had been through, after denying the Lord, um, after being rebuked by the Lord on several occasions, how devoted he actually is, I'm sure to hear that um, was music to his ears. But here, here's, here's where I'm trying to get at here. Peter's love for Jesus and his desire to obey and glorify him were shown, were evident in his willingness to ultimately give everything for the Lord Jesus Christ. His love for Jesus was shown in his willingness to give everything for him. And this is really what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus commands Peter at the end of our text in verse 19, he says, follow me. And this is what it looks like. To follow Jesus, to love him, means to take up your cross. It means to be willing to sacrifice everything for the sake 
of Jesus, your own personal agenda for your life, your comfort, your stability, your reputation, whatever God has called you to, as followers of Christ and his cross, we're to be willing to take up our cross, ready to lose our life for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. And when Jesus says to give up everything and follow him, it's because he's already taken everything upon himself. As Jesus hung on the cross, he paid for everything wrong you or I have ever done. Every sin was covered by his suffering. All debts were paid by his blood. When he said it's finished, he meant it. Jesus paid the price to make you his disciple. Even if we could pay all the money in the world, we couldn't, we couldn't purchase a single sin. Only the blood of Jesus could do that. And, and, I, and I will say that giving up everything to follow Jesus is, is recognizing that all of your blessings in life are from him. It means that you no longer have anything except the gifts he's given you. You own nothing. It, mean, it means that you no longer have anything except what he has given to you. You only take care of what you have, what you've been given. So, so we put ourselves and everything we own, everything we have at the disposal of Jesus Christ. That's the wholehearted devotion that Jesus requires of those who follow him. So to love Jesus means to have passion for him, but it also means to be willing to sacrifice everything for him. And thirdly, loving Jesus means being committed to tending his sheep, being committed to tending his sheep. I get this from verses 15 to 17. Three times in those verses, 15 through 17, uh, Jesus drives home this point um, that if it is true that Peter loves him, then what follows is tend my sheep or shepherd my sheep or feed my sheep. And to tend means to, to feed, essentially. Tend means to feed. And to shepherd means all of those jobs or all of those things that you do in order to accomplish the feeding. So maybe it's guiding. Uh, maybe it's comforting. Uh, maybe it's protecting. Uh, any of those things will be included in the term shepherding. And actually, Peter... Um, you find out that he learns this lesson because in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, uh, Peter writes this. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So we see here uh, Peter putting this into practice as he's teaching the churches as well. And so we'll see that shepherding the flock, um, feeding the flock, it's primarily the job of the elders in the local church. Uh, Paul exhorted the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So we see that the primary job to shepherd is the elder's job. It's their responsibility. However, um, we also see that they couldn't possibly do it alone. Just this past uh, summer, we were doing the, the one another 
sermon series, right? Uh, if, if you haven't yet, I encourage you to go back and, and, and watch those. They were encouraging. But uh, in the one another text in the New Testament, we, we see that it's God's design that not just the elders in the church are the ones shepherding the flock, but it's all of us, right? If you call yourself um, a follower of Christ, a lover of Jesus, you are a shepherd of the flock in a certain sense. The older believers should shepherd those who are younger in the Lord. Parents must shepherd their families and feed them from God's word. Mothers should teach their children the ways of the Lord. If you're further along than another believer, then you have something to contribute and even the responsibility for him or her. You can teach the newer believer how to feed himself with the word of God, prayer, and fellowship. You can warn him of spiritual dangers that he might not be alert to. And even if you're both on the same level spiritually, there, there are plenty of things we can do uh, to, to guard each other's hearts, to help one another uh, in our walk with God. It can be something simple. I mean, just this past week, there was um, someone from our gathering that sent me a text just saying, hey, I'm praying for you and your family. What can I be praying for? Guarding our hearts in the sense of prayer, praying for the body. Shepherding the flock of Jesus is a community project. It's something that we should all be involved in, not just those that are standing up here. And and I'll also say that as we are shepherding, as we're in our missional families, as we're helping one another, as we're serving in the church, as we're seeing one another week to week and, and, and encouraging one another, helping one another, our love for Jesus is our foundation for tending to his flock. And it's true that we should love the flock, we should love the people of God because he does, right? And he, and he, and he sacrificed for them. Uh, but sometimes the sheep aren't lovable. And, and your love for Jesus has to undergird your service to and shepherding of his sheep. Or you'll get hurt, you'll get discouraged, and you'll quit. Love for Jesus is what, is what keeps you going when the sheep are stubborn and disagreeable. I'm not serving the sheep, oh, this, if you can't say amen, you better say ouch. I'm not serving the sheep for what they can give me. I'm just a sheepdog. And sheepdogs don't, don't get much from the sheep except hassles and manure. In our case, we, we serve as sheepdogs because we were in the dog pound, headed for extermination, when the great shepherd rescued us and put us into service. Well, while we want to help the sheep, uh, we serve them because we love the shepherd and want to please him. And he asks you, do you love me? If your answer is yes, you know I love you. Tend my lambs, feed my sheep. It's not just a Sunday thing. Shepherd the flock. So how have you been a part of shepherding the flock or tending to his sheep? Because loving Jesus means that you will be committed to guarding, guiding, and caring for the well-being of the flock, the people of God. So what does it mean to love Jesus? It means to have passion for him, to treasure him above all else. It means being willing to sacrifice everything for him. And it means committing yourself to shepherding his sheep. And there are going to be times, and uh, I know, I'm sure that there, there are people here more seasoned in the Christian life than I can tell us that there are going to be times where our love for for Christ is not where it should be. 
Absolutely not. And, um, and we know it should be at a certain place, and it's just not. I think uh, Peter's story here is extremely encouraging um, because we see that God is a God of second chances. He doesn't just leave us there. Uh, and, and, and I say that in, in John chapter 21, it's actually a mirror of the initial commission of Peter. Because when, when, it, when Peter's initially commissioned, what is he doing? He's on a boat. What's he doing on the boat? He's fishing. And what happens? He puts his net down. Jesus is like, hey, try the other side. <laughs> right? And this happened earlier. So, so he takes all the fish and he's like, whoa, who is this guy? He gets to shore. Jesus is waiting. And Jesus says, follow me. The exact same words he uses here in his recommissioning. So as Peter, and I'll also add, a charcoal fire is only mentioned twice in the book of John. It's the first time it's mentioned is at the, the denial of Jesus uh, that, that, that Peter does. As he denies Jesus three times, there's a charcoal fire. And now there's a charcoal fire where Jesus recommissions in mercy Peter three times. So as Peter is having this conversation with Jesus, you can imagine the memories that are flowing through his mind, how he's messed up time and time again. And now he gets here, and Jesus is asking him, you know, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he realizes, maybe not as I should. Maybe not as I should. But Jesus still commissions him nonetheless. There is mercy there. So if you find yourself today, and maybe your love isn't where it should be, lean on the mercy of Jesus. Lean on the strength of Jesus. Because this text also shows us that Peter does stay, remain faithful to Christ. There's strength there to be found as well. So what does it mean to love Jesus? It means to have passion for him. It means to treasure him above all else, to value him. It means to being willing to sacrifice everything for him. And it means to commit yourself to shepherding his sheep. I'm going to ask the, actually, I'm going to close us in prayer. And then we're going to transition to a time of communion today.